with you to be able to be part of this conference. I thank the Lord for his goodness and his grace towards me and to give me the privilege, the blessings of sharing some thoughts from God's word with you. It's um, just amazing, overwhelming, uh, humbling, I would say, um, knowing who I am, what I am, and even how my thoughts take me sometimes, uh, that God uh, will still choose to give me these opportunities and to share with you some thoughts from the word of the Lord and to be in just in fellowship with you. Um, I've been looking more at the scriptures concerning this matter of fellowship, and I think a lot of believers have lost the... Uh, solution to a lot of their lives and that is a fellowship um, what the scripture teaches and the the encouragement the power if I might use that word there is in Christian fellowship and we just I just thank the Lord for the fellowship that I can have with other believers and those who are with similar beliefs that's so encouraging to do that Father, bless your word and help me as I preach this morning. Give me thoughts and words that are simple to be able to express the profound truths from your word. Bless your people as we listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts through your word. I pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm from the island called Barbados. Some of you have not heard about it, but it's a very tiny, tiny island of 166 plus square miles. They've just added on a few miles to it by filling up parts of the sea. And, but we have quite a few people in it as far as the land is concerned. We used to be one of the most densely populated places in the world um, before there was a split with India, and Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Um, anyhow, China then passed us out. I think we're about fourth now in uh, density, uh, population-wise. Um, it doesn't look so if you visit Barbados, and it'd be good if you do visit Barbados. We'd help take care of you. Um, have a church for you to go to for sure. <laughs> but you'd enjoy it, and we'll uh, come down there, sunshine, beaches, and a little life a little different to, to what you have here. And you might be surprised what you find there. So, and if you go to Barbados, you could skip over to Trinidad if Brother Ken is there and Sister Nancy. But uh, God has done some wonderful things for us. And we'll tell you a little bit about our ministries as we go through the week. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Today I want to share some thoughts on the subject of the kingdom of God. And we'll give you a basic outline. I'm sure that most of you know this basic outline. But we'll use the text Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To challenge us this morning. With our lives. Um, as was said just now concerning Brother Philip's uh, lesson. Uh, particularly the part where he dealt with. What's the sense of knowing the kingdom if you don't apply it to your lives and don't know the power of it right now? 
And that has been my major issue. And I would say if there is a, a burden, it is to share with kingdom believers this. That it's good to believe things about the kingdom and to know truth. But if truth is not applied to the life in this life, then the kingdom will mean very little to you. And that which you believe a lot about, you might just not inherit if you don't apply that truth to your life. And that is my biggest concern uh, concerning kingdom believers. And I will say a little about that during the course of the week, Lord willing. Um, Because of my research on history, as far as theology is concerned, or when in history where particular truths uh, people have been enlightened to. And they get caught up with the truth without actually living the truth in their lives. We all know the text. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now the word seek has to do with making a strenuous effort. Now it's a slightly different word used to that found in Romans chapter 3 verse 11. Where it tells us there's none that seeketh after God. Um, The words are very similar. But the one in Romans has a. A prefix added on to it, ek. And that word in Romans, chapter 3, verse 11, where it means that these people in Romans 3, 11, there's nothing out of themselves that will make them seek after God. There's none that seeketh after God. They don't have anything in them, the capacity in them to make them seek after God. Well, here it In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the prefix ek is left out, which implies these people, from the meaning of the word, they have the capacity in themselves to seek after God. You see, if you are a believer, you have the capacity to do that. If you're not a believer, you've not heard the word of God, you've not been exposed to the truth of God's word, then... Like these in Romans chapter 3, nobody of their own selves, apart from God doing something to them. And this has to do with the preaching of his word. That when a person hears his word, God's word preached, then he begins to have that capacity to seek after God, to call upon God. Now, a particular thing in Romans chapter 3, 11, all of these people who are unsaved in themselves... Generally speaking, if you have never heard the word of God, then you don't have the desire. There's nothing in you that makes you know about God. And you don't know the truth of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then you of yourself cannot seek after God. Hence, to me in Romans chapter 10, when it says, How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? This puts a burden upon me, upon you, for people to hear the word of God. Because unless they hear the word of God, they cannot believe, they cannot call. And therefore, we have upon us who are saved the responsibility of people hearing the word of God. So then that they can call upon God. And seek after God. 
My brethren, I know that some people think that this relates only to the Jews. But the Jews knew the scripture. And they are already, even though they had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, they knew the scripture better than you and I, I suppose, as far as the Old Testament is concerned. That was a scripture then. You know what they had to go through in their Jewish lives as far as memorizing scripture and learning scripture. And they heard the truth of the kingdom in so much that when John the Baptist came on the scene, he needed no introduction, no flowery introduction. He simply stated and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Not one of the Jews stopped and said, hey John, what do you mean by that? They knew what he was talking about. Even though there was a 400 year silence between the last prophet Malachi and John. Now you think of 400 years, the generations that passed in 400 years. But this truth of the kingdom was taught by each generation to the next generation to the next generation. That even though there was no prophet who came and told them anything about the kingdom. That when John came on the scene and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Those Jews knew what John was speaking about. A few years later. The master, behold the Lamb of God that came, who came to take away the sins of the world. John introduced him as such. And as soon as he started to preach publicly, the first thing he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again, the Jews knew exactly what the Lord was talking about. No need of explanation. He just went ahead afterwards and he taught them about the principles of the kingdom. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. So when he tells them within the sermon of the monk. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They knew what John and the Lord Jesus and, uh, was preaching about. So there are people who have never heard of the truth of the word of God. There are people up to this time in life. To our Christians that is. Uh, shame who have never heard the word of God who don't even know that there's such a thing as a Bible now praise God for the internet because this has made it a lot more possible for a lot of them to hear or read the Bible online I've had some experiences with this with, with uh, some people from China who had never heard about the Lord Jesus we got talking online she wanted to learn English and so she asked me if I knew English and where we started off from. And I told her my pastor. She didn't even know what that was. I told her about Jesus. She didn't know who that was. She was brought up in her age where there was thought not against God that there was simply no God. And I was able to take uh, through the scriptures and when first word in English I tried to get her to call is Jesus. Jesus the son of God. And then there was a, a, God led me to another Chinese man in Barbados and led me to have Bible study with him. And started, uh, it was so refreshing to, to be able to have Bible study with a person who knew nothing about the God's word. And I started from Genesis. And just was, we had Bible study with him for weeks while he was there. Not, knew nothing about the Lord Jesus. And so there are people in this modern age, to our shame, who believe that Jesus Christ. Is the only way, the truth and the life. It bothers me greatly and it makes me ashamed as a preacher, as a Christian. 
that I believe that with all my soul. And I, I say that with a kind of righteous boasting that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only answer. And thinking of all the other options people give, like Buddha and all the others. And that I will boldly state to the world at large, to every creature, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the only way, the truth and the life. And that there are people out there who have not heard that message. Sometimes I wonder what am I doing here. I should be out there. Telling people about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that entails all the good news. Whether it's about the kingdom, about God's grace, whatever it is. is the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they need to hear that. And particularly those of us who have come upon the, the wonderful message of the gospel of the kingdom. And to be able to explain to them where God is heading with this world. And the joys and the glory of that. And people there are who need to hear that gospel. I think of the rich young ruler who came on his own. Nobody didn't seem to prompt him. He says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He obviously had a knowledge before. He came seeking. He doesn't fit into the group of Romans chapter 3 verse 11. Even the thief on the cross... He must have heard something before. And then when he saw the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus didn't say very much from the cross. While he was there. But during that course of that day. He looked on him and said. Remember me Lord. When thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord gave him those wonderful words. I say unto you today. That thou shalt be with me in paradise. So they had some knowledge. Of the truth. And was able to call on their own. There's no indication that the Lord Jesus had a personal talk with that man on the cross. I say to you, to you and to me this exhortation then. Of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Is for every one of us who are believers. And this is a continuous action. This is not just a finding of the truth. But a seeking to live that truth in our lives. So it tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Indicates righteousness has some rules to it, some living requirements to it that we must seek greatly. We must seek first of all. That means that's priority in our lives. If I tell you first of all, that has equal weight with it. Because I might have certain things I think is a priority. If we're talking about family life, I might say, you know, in family life, you must do this first. Well, somebody else might come and say, well, I think in family life, this is what you must do first. So we can debate about what is first. But here's the Lord Jesus. And there's no debate about it. He tells us that see ye first priority, the kingdom of God. That is first in time, first in circumstances, first in all areas of living. Whatever we are, whatever we desire, whatever we would like to accomplish, put all of those there. And remember, they fall under, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
And then we know the wonderful thing, truth of it, that we like, and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, sometimes we misunderstand God's promises to us about, and all these things shall be added unto us, and we look for them immediately. God has different ways of doing different things in our lives. But observe, then, the importance of the kingdom from this thought. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The importance of it is that the first subject of John's preaching was the kingdom of God. The importance of it is seen the first subject of the Lord's teaching was that of the kingdom of God. By the way, it was also his last subject after, uh, just before he ascended. We know that that's what he talked to the Jews, about, to the disciples about. About things pertaining uh, to the kingdom. That was what Paul preached about the most. If you look through the book of Acts, you will see that. Particularly in the last passages of his life in uh, ending of Acts. That's what he reasoned with the people about, the kingdom of God. And it's a theme of the writers of the New Testament. I have time to go and prove that to you in all scripture, but... I'm sure you can find that on more than likely you know that already. The origination of this kingdom is the theme of the Old Testament. If you might use Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34, it tells us that the kingdom has been preparation since the foundation of the world. And so from Genesis chapter 1 onward, from the time God started and he put man in the garden, has to do with dominion over this earth, over God's kingdom. And we know the different things that happened, that man forfeited that. But God is going to keep his promise that man is going to rule on this earth. The devil is fighting against that because the devil wants to rule over this earth. And he thought he's, when he got Adam, well, he conquered. He found out that he didn't conquer. And so he thought when he got the next Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he conquered. He didn't know that that was a starting of the victory over him. And the God in his process of things. One day the man Christ Jesus. Will reign on this earth. And man will have dominion on this earth. As God intended it to be. And the theme of the Old Testament. Is that of the kingdom of God. The fulfillment of it one day. Will come to pass. In this re- uh, as, as far as a physical aspect of the kingdom on earth. However, in between there, of the Old Testament and, and the fulfillment of the kingdom, prophet-wise, there is what we might refer to as the mystery aspect of the kingdom. I think Matthew chapter 13 uh, would fill in with a lot of that, that thought. And so, the origination of the kingdom, there is a kingdom, I would call it the kingdom in the present form. First of all, I see it as spiritual. That is, we are to be born again. If we are to understand it, except we be born again, you cannot see, perceive, comprehend the kingdom of God. And the Lord Jesus goes on and explains more and says, I said, that's why I said unto you, except be born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It is here, that is the kingdom of God, by rules, his authority, his righteousness. Wherever there's a king, there's, there's authority. If a person says he's a king and he has no authority, then what kind of king is he? And so he sets forth his authority over us. 
And he set some rules. And we are to live by, this, by his rules in this life. See the Sermon on the Mount. I would say especially the Beatitudes, but radical living that is opposite to the precepts and the principles of this world. I've read the, the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm sure you have over and over, and see what the Lord is telling the people there and how he wants them to live. Some people take that, oh, well, that'd be how we will live in the kingdom. Brethren, I believe that's how the Lord wants us to live in this life. And if we live according to those principles, those truths in this life, you'll start to experience a different type of joy, a pleasure in your soul that you can actually live this way in this world that's full of sin, that everything is against us, the flesh, the world, the devil, and some Christians. And that we are able to live a life that it doesn't call for, as people think, a burden. See, the righteousness is not a burdensome thing. That's what sometimes we make Christians feel. That is a hard thing to serve the Lord. It is the way of the transgressor, Proverbs tells us, that is hard. It's not burdensome to serve the Lord. And if we follow the rules of our Savior... And we submit to his kingdom, his rules. Dear friend, life becomes a joyful life. Then we start to understand what the psalmist meant when he said, There are pleasures at, that, at, at thy right hand forevermore. That in this world where we see topsy-turvy, we can live lives of joy and peace and satisfaction in this life. And that's what I call the spiritual aspect of the kingdom. That you and I in this world can have victory over the spirit being of the prince of the power of the air. In our human flesh, that we through the power of the spirit can have power over him. And by the way, talking about the flesh and things like that, that's exactly the truth of it. Is that we need to see that we are fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places. And physical can never defeat spiritual so how can we in the physical defeat the spiritual? We must become spiritual. How do we do that? By yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And His power in us, in this flesh of ours, this weakness of flesh, and that's what gets the devil, that man in the flesh can defeat him, can resist him, can actually say no to him. The smallest child through the power of the Holy Spirit. The oldest person. Whoever yields to the Holy Spirit. God gives them the power to be able to resist the devil. And to be victorious over him. His physical in that we are to live righteous lives now. The rules are there for us. And through the power of the Spirit we can have victory. But how is that seen? Because we are human beings because we are physical then this living the rules must be seen outwardly now we have the rules in our hearts there's a spiritual attitude towards it all but friends it cannot be expressed just inside of us it must come out of us attitudes affects activities 
where we go, what we like, how we treat people. Or we, if we have it in our souls and believe it in our hearts, then it will come out in our lives. So there's a physical aspect of it. So we live righteous lives. How do you know I live a righteous life? Because I say I'm righteous inside of me. You can only tell I live a righteous life by the way I live physically. How I treat people. How I treat my family. How I live my, my life as I go along. So it will, must be seen outwardly. Well, that's a physical aspect of us in being in the kingdom. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's think of the future aspect of the kingdom. Fact is that one day, the glories of, of all that God has promised will come to reality, as seen in the prophecies of the Old Testament and in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles. And that one of these days, the kingdom of God will come on this earth. One of the greatest mistakes I believe Christians have made is that we've tried to change this world to bring the kingdom of God. And so we think that particular politicians or parties will do the job for us. We say they're unsaved and we expect them to live a righteous life. That doesn't make sense. We expect them to lead us down the path of righteousness. Well, the only way people can actually do that is if they seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the power of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. And so we seek to try to change the world by demonstrations and so on. That doesn't work. It's by our living that there will be the salt of the earth. And we will hinder it. But we will never, by our living here, ever change this present world. And suddenly the glory of God will come down on it. That comes in your life personally. And some churches experience some of that glory, if I might say that, in their ministries. But certainly in our lives, we can experience some of that glory. Foretaste, as we would say, of glory divine. There's going to be a real kingdom that God will come on this earth and rule. We know the changes that will take place during, during that time and the topography of the land and, and the peace and the prosperity and all the other wonderful things that will happen to, to us then. I want to take these and in the closing time we have. Speak on the promises and blessings of the kingdom. In our present lives. And how that expect, uh, affects the future life. We refer to this time of the kingdom. As a mystery form. Matthew chapter 13 tells us the mysteries of the kingdom. And we grapple with those things. Now, in this form, there are a lot of things that we don't fully understand. Maybe this person fully understands this part and this person fully understands this part. And even and then, we among ourselves disagree as to the interpretation of certain of the parables found in Matthew chapter 13. You can take up books written by kingdom believers and you'll see they have different views as to interpreting these parables. Now, both of these, as far as the promises are concerned, in its present form, I say mystery form. In their interpretation, as far as this is concerned, mystery form, I believe also that in our lives, there is a mystery form of the kingdom in our lives. Let me explain that to you. 
That's the same way that we look at these parables and we try to put them together. And sometimes we disagree in certain of the principles, there's certain of the mysteries. They're like mysteries to us. Uh, there are certain things I sometimes I say, yes, I think it is this. And then I, after I read somebody else's notes or books or hear somebody else, I say, wow, that sounds like what it means when it talks about the man who found the pearl of great price. Or the man that hid the treasure. And however you look at it, and we know the truth of the kingdom behind it, there is some part of it that catches our spirit and, and encourages us and makes us to love our Lord more. In all lives, there are some mystery things that happen. A mystery form, because here we are seeking first the kingdom of God. Let's say we're doing that. That's our priority. That's what we want to do first of all. Most of all. And we have that great desire to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to live a holy life, to please God in our lives. And yet, the mystery of it all, our brother gets his legs blown off. There's some of you in here who've been seeking God for so long in your life and you want to do that which is right. You want to stand before him and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And as far as you know, you're trained to do that. And whenever there's some sin pointed out in your life, you try to get rid of it. And you're trying to live according to the rules of the kingdom. And yet, you're suffering. You're going through difficulties. The pains of life. The ups and downs. Today you're in the water, tomorrow you're in the flood. And the next day when you get out of the water, you find yourself in the fire. And you're, you're serving God. You're seeking first the kingdom of God. And you tend to ask God why. It's a mystery to you that you're serving God and God has promised to take care of you. We love him and try to obey him and follow him. And yet we experience sufferings and sorrows and pains physically and emotionally and mentally. And people look at us. They wonder if there's a God because we say we are serving God, we love him. Why does he let that happen to you? And there's a mystery. How do we explain it to them? Sometimes we find ourselves in similar circumstances as David was in and how he expressed himself in Psalm 42. And I'll tell you, this psalm has been the cornerstone a lot of times in my life because of what God allowed me or caused me to experience physically, mentally, emotionally. And I, I never knew what depression was. But when a member of the church came and said they were depressed, I just gave a self-righteous answer like, what are you worrying about? God says, don't worry. And there was no feeling or understanding what that person was going through. 
I thought depression was the greatest, one of the greatest sins in the world for a believer. Because it meant you were not trusting in God. Well, God allowed me to know differently. And I went through some depression in my life. If there's one of the things I don't want to experience like I did is depression. I still have little bouts of it here and there that God reminds me of some things. And then I saw in the scriptures that a lot of God's men were depressed. David was a man of great depression. And you read the imagery of his, as he describes his life. A psalm we like when he was dung in the miry clay, dung in a horrible pit. You read that and you'll understand if you know what the meaning of that. David was going through great depression. By the way, the words in the Greek, this use of the Lord Jesus when he was in the garden. Actually, some scriptures, some translation translate it, and he was depressed. Suddenly I found out depression was not a sin, it was a condition. And in a condition that makes you trust God more than ever. Because if you don't trust Him, then you're done with. And in deep depression, you have no one else to call on but God. But listen to the psalmist in his great deep depression. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in his circumstances that were dire. Listen to the words. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then he describes his condition. My tears have been my meat day and night. Well, they continually say unto me, Where's thy God? Well, David was the one that told him about God. And now he, here he is in a circumstance that the tears flow down his, his cheeks unbidden. Now he couldn't sleep at night. You toss and you turn in great depression. And you just can't fall asleep. Boy, what a terrible thing insomnia is. And then you fall asleep for a little, you know, you got up. And then you say, wow, it must be morning. And you looked at the clock. It was only five minutes you fell asleep for. So, oh, man, I thought it was morning. And then afterwards, a couple hours, you drift off again. And you think it's a good time to get up again. It was just a three minutes time you fell asleep for. And so you talk to people about your condition. Where's thy God? What a mystery it is to us that we're seeking after God, putting Him first in our lives, and He's allowing us to go through things that people are saying, Where's thy God? We want them to see God living in us joyful lives on the mountaintop. Well, friends, the best place a lot of times for people to see God living in our lives. Is what we call the valleys. When the difficulties of life. Because if they see us. In our great depression. In our circumstances. Of illnesses. Of things not going good financially. The disappointments of life. The water. The flood. The fire. And they see us going through that. And still all through that. We are like the Samis. 
As a heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. I'm still seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then they'll have to start to think. There must be a God. That even in his great depression. While he's in his horrible pit in the miry clay. He still loves his God. He's still seeking to serve his God. And so when they get into their deep depression. When they get into their problems. They know who to go to. Let me ask this person how they handle this. And so the mystery form of the kingdom of us in this life, who love the Lord, who looks forward to the reality of the kingdom on earth. Friends, we can have that power of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in this life. That's when we need it. To fight against the wiles of the devil. To fight against the circumstances that we don't understand why this is happening to us. Oh, the mystery of suffering. And I'm not talking about persecution. I'm just talking about suffering. Things that happen to us in this life. The twists and turns of life. I say to all of us, it is times like that when we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's not the time to turn back. That's the time, like the songwriter to say, though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Keep on seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness through your troubles of life, through your particular mysteries of life right now. Family life, sometimes you don't understand it. Children give trouble. Spouses give trouble. You have trouble out here. You have trouble there. And uh, all around. And you're serving the Lord. I said to you and to me this morning. Amidst all the twists and turns of life. Keep your eye on the goal. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Seek ye first the kingdom of God still. Because one of these days is going to bring fruit in your lives. It's going to give you a particular joy and peace through your sufferings. It's going to bring to your soul a greater assurance that God is real. And you're going to experience a life, whether you call it life on the higher plane... Or life in 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 the deeper life. Or whatever you want to call it. You're going to experience in your life. As you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In your mysterious circumstances. God is going to bring to you. The power of his presence in your life. That you can walk with God. And know as he promises Though thou passest through the waters and passest through the flood. Though you pass through the fire. What? They'll not do anything unto you. Why? For I am with thee. And to experience that in our lives. That I am walking with God. And God is with me. And to experience the joy of fellowship. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I challenge every one of us. To seek first the kingdom of God. 
for the experiences in this life that we can have. But that pays dividends for the future. Because how we live in our circumstances in this life will one day cause us to hear. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. And I like this part of the promise. Enter ye into the joy of thy Lord. Now, what's the kingdom of God? It's not meat or drink. But it's joy in the Holy Ghost. And we need this in this life. But in that to come, in the kingdom of God on earth, there's going to be a joy unspeakable and full of glory. When we hear, enter ye into the joy of thy Lord. Joy is one of the greatest things to experience in this life. And we're going to get it overflowing. If we live a life of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes and set up his kingdom. Until then, let us all desire in our souls. Like as it says of the, of the psalmist. As a heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee. Let that be our cry, our desire, our soul, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, present and future, shall be added unto you. Thank you, and God bless you.